From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. Over the past month in Australia, there have been four Indigenous deaths in custody. More than 400 Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people have died in custody since a Royal Commission examined the issue 30 years ago. Now, a new organisation has been created to help their families fight for justice. Today, journalist and Gomorrah woman Madeline Heyman-Reber on the grassroots organisation supporting families whose loved ones have died and continue to die in police custody. A warning on today's episode, it contains the names of Aboriginal people who are deceased and descriptions of their death. Madeline, you attended the inquest into the death of Tanya Day. It was held after she died in police custody in 2017. Can you tell me about what happened to her? Yeah, Ani Tanya Day was a 55-year-old Yorta Yorta woman. Um, she had boarded a train from Echuca to Melbourne. It was a V-line train. Um, and she was going to visit her daughter, Kimberly, her youngest daughter. And she was pregnant with her first child. And so Ani Tanya was on the train for some reason, she had been drinking that day and fell asleep. And when the, when the train conductor came along to check her ticket, um, she couldn't produce one and she was a little bit confused and disorientated. Instead of calling uh, an ambulance for Ani Tanya, he decided to call the police instead. When the train pulled up at Castle Main Station, the police came on and checked her and got her off the train um, onto a bench and they could tell that she was drunk. They actually saw some alcohol in her bag. Instead of calling an ambulance for her, they also made the decision to take her into custody for public drunkenness. This is the moment a tiny Tanya Day is bundled into holding cell one. They have an unofficial rule of four, uh, you stay in custody for four hours to sober up. The mother of five appears calm, shedding tears as she's processed, stripped of her pink top and shoes for her own protection. So she was in custody and there weren't sufficient checks done on Ani Tanya. Then the door shuts and Tanya is alone for the next four hours. So she hit her head five times while she was in that cell and one fatal blow ended up causing hemiparesis or bleeding in her brain. Well, harrowing and heartbreaking are just some of the words used to describe this footage we're about to show you of Tanya Day in a police cell in Castle, Maine in 2017. That CCTV footage was shown in court as well and it was quite horrendous to watch. Tanya Day's children have been pushing for the release of this footage, which has been played here at the coroner's court at the inquest into their mother's death. They say they want everyone to know how she was treated, saying they believe police failed in their duty of care. She was in hospital for a few days before she sadly passed away. And what's uh, really tragic about this as well is that Ani Tanya was a really staunch advocate for deaths in custody and for the families of people who are victims of deaths in custody. So for her to be taken from her own family in the same way is just pretty horrific. We know that our mum would have been treated differently and would still be alive today if she was a non-Indigenous woman. Today the coroner in the inquest for our mum's death referred two police officers for criminal investigation. This isn't the end of the road, but it's just the beginning for justice for our mum. 
So that was a few years ago now, and there was a lot of media attention about it at the time. But what has happened since then? Have we seen any changes when it comes to Aboriginal deaths in custody? So next month, it will be 30 years since the Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody, with more than 460 deaths. Three have happened in the uh, in the first week of March. A woman in her 50s at Silverwater Prison, a man in his 30s at Long Bay in New South Wales, and another man at Raven Hall in Victoria. That was all within, uh, you know, seven days of each other. And just last week, there was a third man who passed away in custody. To wake up this morning and hear another death in custody is another stab in the heart. He was a Barkindji man who died during um, a police pursuit in Broken Hill. My people are sick of losing people. You know, they tried to wipe us out 200 years ago. They failed. And we are still trying to survive in this country. And they are killing us in the prison system. So those deaths are absolutely, obviously devastating, not just for the family, but for the community. Every single time um, one of our community members dies in custody, families of these victims, you know, experience excruciating pain. And despite that trauma, they have to go through all of these steps that no no other family would really ever have to experience or deal with, like coronial inquests, uh, dealing with the media, financial stress, having uh, random people, you know, approaching them wanting to do rallies. And the other aspect of having someone die in custody, you know, you have to really, you have to break cultural protocol to be able to get any kind of justice in terms of, uh, you know, saying their name and having their photo out in the public when we shouldn't be doing that. So it's it's really difficult. And you've been speaking to April Day, that's Tanya's daughter, about this. What has she been telling you? So I spoke to April. You go through so much while going through the coronial inquest. Um, and it's the whole. Uh, and she said that, you know, after experiencing everything with mum, going through the coronial inquest and realising how difficult the process is in terms of grieving, healing, advocating, and the procedural stuff behind it, it just really highlighted the flaws in the system and how families can fall in between the cracks. And it's the whole, the whole lead up to it and just trying to navigate through that in terms of like how you run a successful campaign while also making sure that the person that you lost and that died in custody isn't lost in the process as well. So being able to... She said that seeing how the community rallied behind us and how lucky she was and how uh, she had really great media attention and then watching other families struggle really, really bothered her. A lot of other families don't get that at all. Um, They don't even get, you know... Um, people supporting them enough to show up to the inquest to, you know, have an interview there or to put out a written article. And that really, that's a horrible thing for that family because, you know, their family and their loved one deserves justice as well as recognition. You know, they- They're not getting the media attention and they're not getting the public's attention about their loved one dying in custody, then there's less likelihood that they're actually going to get justice in any kind of way. The news should be reporting on this as breaking news because it is, because we have like just growing numbers of Aboriginal people and Torres Strait Islander people dying in custody and they're just not acknowledging it. Um, and I just thought I don't want another family to have to go through what we've gone through or go through what we've gone through with less support than what we had. So after going through that for years and years, um, April just has decided, you know, to start affecting change herself. 
We'll be back in a moment. As a 7am listener, you're already familiar with many of the journalists who work for The Saturday Paper. For a limited time, subscribe to Australia's leading independent news source, The Saturday Paper, and you'll receive The Saturday Paper's stainless steel coffee cup, made in collaboration with Fresco, for free. Subscribe from just $2.10 a week. Simply visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au forward slash offer. As a a 7am listener, you value the story behind the headlines. That's why you should read Post, a free daily newsletter bringing you the top five news stories of the day, summarising each of their key points with links to full articles from a range of sources. Get the news you need to your inbox every weekday morning with Post. Sign up at thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash newsletters. Madeline, can you tell me more about what exactly it is that April Day is embarking on and the kind of change that she is hoping to make? So one of the things that April's doing is actually setting up this foundation, the Dajwa Foundation. It sort of blows my mind that we've had, you know, a royal commission into Aboriginal in custody. We're nearly 30 years on from there. And there hasn't been something that has been established that's just for the families. So the Dajwa Foundation, it's grassroots and it's got um, absolutely no government influence. And grassroots care is sort of in terms of, you know, like, doing all of that work that uh, families find really, you know, hard to deal with when they're going through something like this, like um, organising rallies and supporting, like with emotional support and, you know, just giving them a call or something like that, organising legal support and doing all of that work that seems like, you know, very overwhelming when something like this happens to you. When, when something like this has happened and they can just get directed as to, as to the best thing that they can do at that time. And that doesn't necessarily mean just because their loved one had passed away that week that they need to be in the media. No, you know, they need to take their time. But having somewhere that they can just have a yarn through that is really important. So since then, she's carefully selected a board to be made up of four other families with lived experience of having a loved one die in custody. So some of those board members include Samara Fernandez-Brown, the cousin of 19-year-old Kumanjai Walker, who was shot in Yindamu in the Northern Territory by police in his home. Um, Michaela Reynolds, she is the sister of Nathan Reynolds, who was just 36 years old when he died having an asthma attack while in custody. Annie Carolyn Lewis, who has sadly had many of her family members die at the hands of the sister men's Troy Brady, who's the nephew of Annie Sherry T- uh, Tilbury, who died last year in Brisbane Watch House. Mm. And so the way the foundation's being set up, it's really prioritising people who have lived experience, right? Can you tell me how important that is? Because we know that often organisations in this space, they can be formed in this sort of top-down way, and this seems to be a completely different approach. Yeah, I think, um, you know, there's a lot of other organisations which can be either partially government funded or something like that. And they have people who work for their organisations who do have lived experience, but unfortunately, uh, they're kind of, you know, constrained in in terms of what level of support they can give families. Um, So something like this has been really needed especially having those families who all have lived experience, uh, they're all able to relate to the people, you know, that they're helping, which is super important. And as April said to me the other day, um, she doesn't even have to, they don't, the families don't even have to say anything to her 
when she sees them because she already knows how they feel and what they need. Because we're able to connect on that level because of what's happened and then we've grown, you know, friendships have just have just grown because we're there to support one another. So I think having, you know, the board and April herself all having lived experience, that's super important because until it happens to you, you just really have no idea how it feels. And when you reflect on the foundation and its necessary role, it is impossible not to think that the reality that the foundation is needed at all is an indictment on, of the reality of the situation in Australia. As you mentioned before, there have been four deaths in custody in the past month. Um, and to change that, systemic change is needed. Can you tell me where you think we are at as a country on that? So I've been thinking about what uh, Green Senator Lydia Thorpe was saying at the front of Parliament the other day. This whole system is set up against us. It's part of the colonial project, right? It was here to get rid of us. You know, about the way that the colony was set up was to be, like, racist to blackfellas, for us to be disadvantaged and, you know, put to the back of the line. And every law that they've made since it was established in 1901 has been to the detriment of Aboriginal people in this country, the oldest continuing living culture in this country. And that's exactly what is still happening because there's been no real review of the police or any real change. So yes, there needs to be coordination, there needs to be accountability, and those police that are responsible for killing our people need to be held account. There's just no way that you're going to get systemic racism or blatant racism is really what it is out of any of the police forces um, in this country until, you know, you abolish them and start again. Realistically, though, I don't know if, you know, the government would ever agree to abolish the police and restructure it. Obviously, it would cost a lot of money, for one. Um, and for two, it's they just don't... No one sees what the problem is other than kind of Aboriginal people and our fellow advocates. Personally, I think start, you know, at the first level of contact that people have with the justice system. Uh, I think the police need to be abolished and restructured. And I mean, a lot of people listening might think that abolishing the police is a really radical thing to do. But if people are serious about changing things for Aboriginal people in this country, then radical change is required for those radical type of results. Madeline, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. With award-winning news coverage and reviews, the Saturday paper is essential reading for everybody. For a limited time, subscribe to a year of our quality, independent journalism, and you'll receive the Saturday paper's stainless steel coffee cup, made in collaboration with Fresco, for free. Subscribe from just $2.10 a week. Simply visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au forward slash offer. The Saturday Paper. No hot takes. Also in the news today... Good afternoon, everyone. It is my intention today to advise the Governor-General of a number of proposed changes to my ministry. The Prime Minister has been forced to reshuffle his front bench following weeks of revelations about the treatment of women in federal politics. 
I've always wanted to ensure there is a strong voice of women in my government, and there has been. I think what we're announcing today goes further than that. Attorney General Christian Porter and Defence Minister Linda Reynolds have been dumped from their senior ministerial positions, but will remain in Cabinet. He's a very capable minister, and I'm sure he'll apply his considerable talents to that portfolio uh, to the best of his abilities. And so with that... Home Affairs Minister Peter Dutton has moved into the defence portfolio, and Michaelia Cash has become the Attorney General and Industrial Relations Minister. The Prime Minister also announced a new Cabinet task force on women's equality, safety, economic security, health and wellbeing to be co-chaired by himself and the Minister for Women, Maurice Payne. Minister Payne will effectively become the leader of that group of women. Um, she is effectively, um, amongst her female colleagues, uh, the Prime Minister for Women. <laughs> uh, um, the, holding the and Brisbane went into a three-day lockdown yesterday afternoon after four more cases of community transmission were detected. There are now fears COVID-19 may have spread into New South Wales after two cases travelled to Byron Bay and visited venues while unknowingly infectious. I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. See you tomorrow.